just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you and to worship you through the study of your word. We ask the Spirit to come and lead us as we look at this. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 119, starting at verse 49. Zane, remember the, the word unto your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has quickened me. The proud have, have had me greatly in derision, yet have I not declined from your law. I remembered your judgments of old. O oh Lord, you have comforted myself. Horror has taken hold of me upon me because of the wicked that forsake the, your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I have remembered your name, O Lord, in the night and have kept your laws. This I had because I kept your precepts. So we're going to look at this. Uh, Zane, uh, the word literally means to plow, weapon, fence, put a fence around. And these, one of the things I'm learning as I'm looking at these is when you look at what the word, what the letter represents, it also is generally what the verses are about. He's talking about putting fences around things in these verses. So we're going to look at we're going to look at some of these. It says in verse 49, remember the word unto your servant which you have caused me wherewith you have caused me to hope. Remember, recall. God, you recall the word unto your servant. How many times have you been in the middle of things and God recalls his word to you and helps you remember what he what he says, what he what he cares about. And it's kind of an amazing thing that, you know, we teach people and we want people to memorize scripture. We want people to really learn. And to me, having memorized scripture in my lifetime, studied scripture so often, God has used those scriptures in a mighty way to touch me in the middle of trials. Uh, Romans 8.28 is one of those ones. Whenever a trial hits, I just, that is one that I automatically grab hold of. When I'm in a perplexing place, I remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. You know, we get into these places and we start remembering, what does God say? When God says, you know, that all things are vanity, there's nothing new under the sun, and we get hit with something that seems it's brand new and we go into the scriptures and find it's not new, it's happened lots of times. Uh, we read the scriptures and we get to learn the scriptures and start going through the scriptures and you know, from a young age I've been working on trying to read my Bible through completely every year from a very young age and so I've been doing this for years and it's fun to see how God starts tying everything together in the scriptures. My scripture that uh, really helped me out a lot was First uh, Corinthians 10 13 I remember no temptation was used except for the and that's a great one when you think again that something is brand new to you and it's yeah. no temptation is uncommon to man it's all whatever you're being hit with has happened to many people that? and it's a great verse because satan will come at us oh, yeah. with you're the only one that's ever thought that thought how could you be a christian and have thought that way how could you have been tempted by that sin that is so awful and that's when that, that verse really comes into, there has no temptation overtaken you, but such is common to man. When Satan attacks us with these thoughts, it's common. But it is one of those things we need to remember because Satan loves to use that as an accusation. You know, you're wicked, you're terrible, you're the only one that's ever thought those ways. And you know, the thing that comes out is we tend to believe him when we're in the middle of the trial. And when we come out to the other side and we, and we get enough courage to start sharing some things that we've been going through, and people go, oh, yeah, I've had that same problem. And it's like, uh, man, I thought I was the only one. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. Uh, Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. Either one of those you can use to defeat Satan's attack, that you're the only one. You're, you are so vile, so awful, that you're the only one that ever has this problem. And this is... Remember your word unto your servant. Remind me, recall your word to me, upon which you have caused me to hope. Our hope is in God. We need to make sure that our hope is that we wait expectantly on him. Why? 
because he's made promises in the scriptures. And these promises are so wonderful. You know, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. Uh, <clears throat> the promise that he will always be with us. The promise that when we walk through the shadow of the valley of death, he'll be with us. The promise that he will comfort us and feed us in the middle of our trials. The promise that he will keep us. The promise that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. The promise that he is life. Isn't that the other verse But what we do is we need to keep these promises in mind because God has made promises and he says, this is where your hope is. God says in the Psalms that precious in his sight is the death of his saints. Do we really look at it that way? That when somebody that is a, that's a Christian dies, that it's precious in God's sight because they went home? You know, do we truly believe that? You know, yes, we should grieve when we lose somebody to a degree because we've lost them, but we don't grieve without ones that have hope because they've gone on to heaven if they know God. Now, if they're not saved, then you have every reason to grieve because you're never going to see them again if you're a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, you're not going to spend any time with them because hell is not a place of comfort by having your friends there. So we want to look at these things. What are some of the things that we look at to memorize? Are we memorizing things that put our hope in God. You know, very important, as I try to choose some of our verses, you know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says that God will lead us. You know, that's a promise. Don't trust in your own, your own understanding because God will direct your path. That's a promise. If you just let him, you know, unfortunately, most of the time, we just run off and make our own decisions, say, okay, God, I'm going to do this. And how many times is it wrong? You know, God wants to lead. He wants to guide. He wants us to trust in him. All through the Psalms, he is our defense. He is our defender. He is our shield. He is our buckler. He is our protector. Over and over again, it says, trust in me. I've got you. I've got it. I've got you protected. I've got this already understood. Being able to to have hope in the fact that he knows all things, that he's in control, and that nothing happens without his permission. And again, I've said over and over, that's a great hope to me. When things look like they're out of control, my thought process is, isn't, God, you're, you've totally lost it. How did you lose everything? It's, God, I, I don't understand, but you've got, you've got everything under control. Why? Because I totally believe that he's under control, that he has everything under control. And just as Job... I may not understand why I'm going through things, but God had to give permission for it to happen. There's great hope in that. God, I really don't understand how, why, why this is going on. It doesn't look like it could possibly be for good as you promised, but the great thing I know is two things. It's going to be for good and you allowed it. Now, where is our hope? What do we hope in? Are we truly hoping in the promises of Scripture? Do we grab hold of God's word when we go through hard times and say, God, I'm just going to grab hold of your word? And you know, it's kind of funny because everybody has their own set of verses that is what comforts them, and that's good. Share, what you, share the verses that comfort you. Because you, know, you might find that your verses might help other people be comforted. You know, there hath no temptation overtaken you is a very good comforting verse when you're going through a hard time because you look at it and say, well, God, uh, this isn't new, so I'm really not that awful, terrible person that I keep getting told by Satan that I am, because it's common. Other people have gone through this, so I'm just going to be confident that this is not normal, not, no, not new. You know, Satan does not change his plan of attack. He's used the same plan of attack ever since the beginning. You know, God has lied to you. He doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to know good and evil. He's trying to hold you back. Same version that he tells us today. God just doesn't want you to have fun. You know, there's fun in these sins. He just, he's holding you back. He doesn't want you to have a good time. Satan's attack is still the same attack as it is yesterday, all the way back to Adam and Eve to today. When he, all these religions that keep coming up are just being recycled from the old religions that have always been out there. 
the, the Zen Buddhist is the same thing that used to be going on in the Epicureans, when we used to go on all the way back to Nimrod. There's nothing new under the sun. All he does is keep recycling. Gnosticism is the same part as, which was a problem in Jesus' day and the disciples, and it's the same thing as Zen Buddhist. Knowledge, secret knowledge. Get your secret knowledge and understand God by, by meditating on him so much that he'll give you the special spiritual keys to knowledge. Well, we have the spiritual keys to knowledge. It's right here. 66 books is our special key. And it means what it says. You don't have to read and understand and have somebody teach you the special secret words. Well, if you just knew that this word means such and such, you'd be able to find the secret word. If you read the 25th letter of every verse, you might, of every verse in the chapter, you'll find this secret message given to you because you know the secret. <laughs> no, it's not. Some of those things are interesting, but they're not how God works. He gives us straight answers in the scriptures. And you'll hear people all the time going, you need this special secret password to get through these things. Uh, and it's just a bunch of garbage and be ready to just say, God, I understand. I want to follow you. And the great news is the Holy Spirit is a wonderful teacher. Are there some secret things in there? Possibly. There's some interesting things that they bring out. But there's nothing really that great. Because God is up front with us, and he'll show us the information. And he says, I remember your word to your servant that has caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction. For your word has quickened me. This, you know, this is my comfort when I'm afflicted, when I'm poor, when I'm in, when I'm in hard times. He says, for your word has quickened me. And quickened means to give life, to revive. Have you ever been in a place where everything, you feel beat up, you feel kind of dead, and you get into the word? And you follow into the word, and all of a sudden you get very much alive, very much awake, very much quickened. God's word is so great when you get into it and it brings life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes through me except through the Father. Jesus in John was called the word. He is the way. He teaches us how to walk. He is the truth. We start learning how to think, and he is life. He is life eternal life, but he is also our life immediately. Eternal life does not start the day we die in our physical body. It starts the day we accept Jesus Christ in as our Lord and Savior. He comes in and dwells us and he gives us life right at that moment. And I know what that feels like. I know that I'm alive. More than anything else, I know that I'm alive. Especially the more I deal with the lost world and see how dead they are. You look, at the, you look at the world and how lost they are and how dead they are. You, know, you look into their eyes and there's nothing but death. Nothing but, but grief and disappointment. Because there is no spark of life in them because they, they know that there isn't anything there. They may put a show on and make themselves look like they're having lots of fun and I'm enjoying my sin and you know, uh, Everything is going fine. I've got lots of money. I've got the big house. I've got the cars in the garage. I've got the servants. I've got, I've got the big bank account. As they're using drugs and alcohol in the middle of the night to, to deaden their death, their, their feelings of death. When they're desperately trying to figure out, do people love me because of all the stuff I have or do they really like me? You know, am I adored by all these fans because of anything or are they just because I'm famous and how quickly they will turn on the famous person. Ask any athlete that goes into a slump. You know, the baseball player who goes from, from hitting you know, close to 400 down to 100 and all of a sudden the fans are booing him when he comes to bat. You know, and he, all of a sudden everything that he thought was going to be so great, all the fame and ador ador adoration has gone out the window because he's in a slump. Ask the, the movie star who does the, goes from several blockbusters in a, uh, movies in a row to a flop. And nobody, nobody's caring about them. Nobody's writing about them. Nobody's looking for them. And they're, they're going, what is this? What's going on in my life? 
Paul says, I've learned to be content with much or with little. God, because he knew God was there. And very important for us to understand as we go through this, what is our comfort? His word. God's word is our comfort. It quickens us. It makes us alive. It goes in verse 51. The proud have had me in great derision, yet have I not declined from your law or transgressed or pulled down from your law. Have you ever been in this place where the, where the world has you in derision? Oh, the world sometimes thinks it's so funny for a Christian to do whatever it is a Christian's doing at the time. Uh, you know, well, why won't you go out and party with us after work today? You know, we have a great time as we get so drunk we can't remember the night. You know, you should come out and have fun with us. No, thank you. I think I'll just stay and do what I have. Well, and you'll get teased. I went to a manager's convention, and I, and I don't really dance. And they're going, you should come out to dance. I go, I don't know how to dance. Well, we'll teach you. I go, I'm just not interested in dancing. You know, if I wanted to dance, I'd want to dance with my wife and nobody else in the first place. But, you know, but they all thought that was a very funny thing. Well, why won't you take and, and bend the rules a little bit? To, everybody's doing it. Everybody's getting away with it because I want to honor God. I want to honor God with the integrity. The, the payroll department at work thinks it's funny because if they mess up my check, and they used to when I was hourly all the time, just about, and I'd go to them, I'd go, you overpaid me you know, this, or you, you know, underpaid me, which they're used to, but they were really shocked the first time I went in. and go, you guys overpaid me by a half hour. And they go, and you brought it here to our attention? I'm going, of course. <laughs> you know, I'm a Christian. I'm a man of integrity. But it shocked them because that's not what normally happens. You, people do not stand with that much integrity. You know, is our Christianity something that the world will look at and be shocked by our way of life? You know, do they see it or do they just see us being like them? You know, do we get angry like they do? Do we, get, do we cheat, you know, cheat and keep uh, the overpayments without bringing it up? Do we overtake our break time and, and steal from the business by, by not, you know, not being honest in our breaks? Do we, you know, are we honest in what we do to the point where the world's going to think it's strange? And here he says, they kept, they kept me in derision. They're making fun of me. They're making fun of me. But I will not reduce your law. I will not decline from your law. I will not be disobedient to your law. This is an important thing for us as a Christian. Is our witness such a, such a way that people look at us and say, well, usually they'll say, well, weird. You know, you could get away with some things. You know, but you know, is that, our, is that the witness that we bring up to people that I'm going to live for God no matter what? I'm going to live for him. And if you think it's funny, so be it. If you think it's weird, praise God. <laughs> I'm, I'm not of this world. How are we looking to lift up Christ in our life? Does the world know that we're different? Or when they look at us, is there just not enough difference for them to really be able to know that we're a Christian? Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect because we can never be perfect. But if you, and I, and I love the statement, you know, if you were to be going to court to be tried for being a Christian, is, would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? Hopefully there's not just words, but actual deeds. Is there enough actual deeds in your life that people would look at you and say, yes, that's a Christian, convict them? It's quite a thought when you think about it. You know, do, does my life match up with what I speak and say? Verse 52, I remembered your judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. You know, this is kind of an interesting thing, comforted. I've relaxed in, I've, I've taken compassion, I've repented, I've, I've, I've been holding on to it. Is that our comfort? Do we look at his word? Do we look at what he's done in the past and say, my comfort is in what you've done in the past? That is why we get into the Word. One of the reasons we get into the Word because we watch what God has done for others. Remember, look at how he's treated people in the Bible. You know, 
And I love it. I love going back to Paul saying, I've learned to be content. I like going back to Job and him not knowing what's going on and, and watching what God put him through. Look at somebody like Joseph who sold into slavery so that he could rescue his, his family without knowing that that's his purpose for going down there for 13 years and not seeing his family for 20, 22 years. Uh, you know, he didn't know what was going on. And we look and say, look, God, what you did. Look at how you protected your people. Moses being sent on the backside of the wilderness to be, be humbled and softened, being called by God. I was listening to a, a story for kids about how often does God call man, you know, called men. He called Adam and Eve and said, you know, hey, where, where you are? Why are you hiding? Give him a chance to admit. He went to Cain and said, where are you? He went to Abraham and said, I want you to leave your father's home and follow me. He called Jacob and said, you know, I am, I am the God of your fathers, and I'm promising you to do what, I'm, what I told them I would do. He called Joseph, even though Joseph didn't know it, as <laughs> he's in slavery. He calls Joshua. He calls Moses. He calls, you know, Gideon. He calls Samson. He calls all these people over the centuries. And you know, God has a plan for each one of us if we will just humble ourselves to listen. Listen to the call. And he has that plan, and we want to take comfort in it. Horror has taken a hold of me upon, uh, horror has taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake your law. This is a bad definition. Horror should be raging anger. It is hot rage. And David is saying, I am getting angry about those that have forsaken your law. Do you ever get to this place where you get tired of watching the lost world forsake God's laws? You know, how many times does it seem like they get away with it? You know, very one, one of the first Psalms that we went in, why do the heathen rage and imagine vain things? Why, you know, he's going on. How are they getting away with doing, you know, not not obeying you God seems like they're getting everything God it seems like this athlete is really getting blessed they seem to have everything God why, why are you letting them do that they're not following you God this rich person who cheats everybody why are you letting them get away with it and we, and we look at it and we go when we really get to know where they're at we realize that that's not a true statement they're not getting away with anything uh, and it says you know I see the wicked that are forsaking your law and yet there doesn't appear to be that fence around them that they seem to be getting away with it God and it, it can bring anger if we're not careful but it also horror in one sense is good because it should horrify us you know that they that they seem to be getting away with it and I use that word seem on purpose because in the long run they're not going to get away with it what's your say burning burning, burning indignation <laughs> Yep, burning indignation that they're disobeying God and apparently getting away with it. Yeah. And that does bother us sometimes, and I'm not going to be one to say it doesn't. It, it is something that you look at and say, God, how is it that they seem to be getting away with this? They seem to be getting blessed and they're not obeying you. And God says, I haven't settled accounts yet. He hasn't settled accounts. And the example we've shown before is the farmer. If the, you know, the farmer starts plowing his fields, or usually fertilizing, plant, plowing his fields, costs lots of money. Buys seed and, and plants his seed, costs lots of money. Make sure the weeds are being pulled and the disking and everything that goes on. All the growing season costs money. If they close their books out before harvest, they've lost a lot of money. And, and you go, well, I'm a terrible businessman. All I do is lose money. The season is not over for them. Mm -hmm. They're not over until they go into harvest and sell what they've done. Then they can look and see, have I paid off all the money that I've spent up to this point? Too many times we look at the harvest that's out there and God says that we're, the, the world is a harvest field. And we go, God, uh, you're a terrible businessman. You're going to let all these people disobey you and get away with it. What kind of what kind of 
farmer are you? You know, they're, they're, they're planting the wrong seed. They're getting away with it. And God says, not time to count yet. Not time to count. Do not count it until the end. Do not count until those that are disobedient are, are, are spending the rest of their existence in the lake of hell and those that have been obedient and thinking that they've lost get all the rewards for honoring God in their lifetime, in our lifetime. You know, we put our treasure in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt it. You know, we, go, we witness to people and we, get, we see them coming to Christ and we get to see future investment. It's amazing when we look at long chains of evangelists who, who each one led the other one or somebody in between to the Lord, to, to the next evangelist. And it's amazing. There's a long line from Jonathan Edwards all the way to Billy Graham that have a linkage between people that have been ministered to. And it's an amazing thought when you look at this, how God has put a long line that's connected. And if you take it back, it probably goes all the way back to... Uh, Peter and Paul and, and, and all of them. But it is so wonderful. Don't ever believe that God is slow and, and not going to hold them accountable. They're going to be held accountable. If they think they've got it made and everything is good, eventually they're going to be held accountable by God and God's going to say, you're going to pay the piper. You rejected Jesus, you're going to pay. And it's an eternal payment. They may have everything in this world and then lose in heaven. Lose heaven and end up in hell for the rest of their eternity. And just as we've said, when, you're, when, when we look at everything that's gone on in this world, and we probably won't look at it, but if, if we even had it to look at this world, you know, 10 zillion years from now, <laughs> we look back on this world and say, wow, and I thought that was such a big deal when I went through it at the time. Well, you know, the sad thing is those in hell are going to look back and say, wow, I really had it made in, on the earth, but man, I'm paying for it now. And they're not going to be any joy in the, the momentary peace that they had on this world. And even then, it's not peace. You get to know these people. You really get to know some of these people that you think are, have it made. And you'll hear some horror stories from them. The, uh, how they're a desperate, desperate Un unrest because you cannot have complete rest without Jesus yeah. and I hear people go well uh, I wouldn't mind I wouldn't mind trying <laughs> give me their millions give me all their property uh, no you don't understand scripture at all would I love to have all that stuff yes but I would love to use it just so I can invest it into God's kingdom and watch what God could do with the big part of it it wouldn't be bad to have some of their stuff as long as you're investing it but I'm not going to take my peace in it my peace comes from God. If he gave it to me, I'd appreciate it. If he didn't, that's fine too. Because he is the one that meets, meets us. Verse 4, your statutes had been my song in the house of my pilgrimage. Your statutes, your rules, your, have been my songs. Do we look at, when we look at God's word, do we look at it as a song, peace, in our pilgrimage? You know, songs have great power. Yeah. How many songs do you remember from your, from your time of being a youngster? You know, whether they're Christian songs or even worldly songs. Uh, many couples uh, that get together have a song that was their song, played when they were getting together, or just a song that came out as they were getting serious, or whatever it is, is their song. It's a special song. Many Christians have special hymns and choruses to them that just, when they sing them, they just have so much meaning to them. And he said, here David's saying, your statutes have been my song. God, your rules are my joy, my peace. They, they play in my head with great uh, power. When we memorize the verses and we go, God, thank you. Here is, your, here is what I hold on to. Here is my truth. When I go through a hard time, it's, it's common to me. It's common to men. It's, it's going to be for good. You've promised that you're going to give me the strength to get through it. If all I have to do is depend on you. God, uh, I know the world wants me, thinks I should be doing this because it looks like that's the right thing to do, but God, I just don't want to do it. 
How many people in, in the business world have gone to the top of the business world only to find out that it's co consumed their entire life? Now, there's a point for many Christians that they don't want to go any further because if you go the next step up, you travel seven, you know, most of the year and you're never home, you're never at your home church. There's a point for a Christian where you go, well, maybe this next step in business is not the right move. I should just stay where I'm at. Maybe it's not good. Maybe it is. You don't know. God, maybe I should do this or not do this. The, world's, the world automatically says, get to the top. All your joy is in the top. The lie that's going around in our generation, women, the worst possible choice you can make is to be a mother. Uh, that's being taught to so many of these young girls out there. You know, don't, don't be just a mom. That's a... You know, be, be superwoman. You can be a mom and be the top of the company and, and be gone all the time and whatever. And that's not to say it's not that it's wrong to have a job, but don't ever take a job because you are afraid to be mom. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the greatest blessings that my kids had is that Lynn was mom until they went, until they went to school. Even <laughs> For a while afterwards. But they had mom at home. They didn't come home to an empty house. They didn't go to a child care where they may or may not have been taught the right ways of God. They got to be taught. They, we need to be able to bring God into all of our life and say, God, where is this point where I make enough money to live, I've got a good enough job, and I just want to be serving my church? One of the things I hear so often, and I, and I shared this, when we're, when we're young, we don't really care about God and church quite often because we're so busy being young. You get to be a teenager and you're just busy doing your sports and school or whatever. You get into, get into college and you're so busy with your education so that you can have a good job. You get into your job and you're so busy trying to get to the top of the company that you have no time for God. You get into middle management and you're so busy trying to get into upper management or keep your, keep your job from disappearing. You get into upper manage, you're worried about all the people that are trying to take your job from you below you. And you're worried that as you get closer to retirement, your company's going to let you go. You get into retirement, and you're, you know, the thing I hear about from so many retired people is there's just more, they don't have any time left to, even as a retired person. That they're so busy with whatever. You know, if you don't make God a priority in your life, life will become a priority in your life and it'll just take and push God right aside. He's got to be made a priority. If you want him to be a priority, he's got to be made a priority. We make time for those things that we find important. We, make, we find money to spend on things that we think are important. The person who's smoking up a carton of cigarettes every, every week is spending a fortune on their cigarettes and they'll, com they'll complain to you that they don't have any money, but you show them that they're lighting up uh, what is it, 50 bucks, 60 bucks or whatever nowadays for a carton of cigarettes, you know. You're just burning your money literally up. The person who gets, in, gets stuck on drugs, burning up thousands of dollars every month, and they'll tell you about how they can't afford anything. We see it all the time, you know. But give somebody an opportunity to do something they really want to do, and they'll find, they'll find time, they'll find money. If they're an avid sports person, and you ask, you know, here, here's tickets for whatever the big event is. You know, NASCAR, NASCAR people, here's tickets to the, to the NASCAR trip, uh, thing going on in Phoenix or, or Las Vegas, and they'll find time to go there. If they're really a fan, they'll find time. Here's your, here's your tickets to the Stanley Cup. <laughs> but we find those time, we find to do things what's important to us. So if we're not finding time for God, what is that really saying about God in our life? You know, God, you're just not that important for me to make time for you. All right, verse 55, I have remembered your name, O Lord, in the night and have kept your law. I have remembered, I have recalled. I recalled your name, O Lord. When we're in trouble, when we're having a hard time, do we remember God's name? Is, is that really the first thing we think about most often? Hopefully it is. Unfortunately, it usually comes down to, God, I have been running around with a chicken with my head cut off trying to figure out how to get myself out of this problem. I think maybe I should be praying. 
Most of us in reality do not call, recall God's name and remember his name when, when we go through things immediately. We try to do everything in our own strength to get out of whatever's going on. Sometimes we do it right, but how often do we do it wrong? Now, probably more often than not, God, my whole life's falling apart, and I've done all, the, all I can try to do to figure out how to put it together, and I'm finally giving up. It's been 12 years. You can, maybe you can fix it for me. I'm being, I'm being slightly facetious with 12 years, but you know, I've met people who've done that, fought and fought and fought and fought and fought and fought, you know, 12, 15, 20, 30 years, you know, I'm going to do this my way. God, I'm going to, you know, I know God, you say put all my cares on you, but I'm going to figure it out somehow. There are people that are very stubborn. We might just spend weeks at it, days at it, years, decades, maybe our entire life trying to do things our way. You know, instead of surrendering to God and saying, God, I just want you to do it. And believe me, I've talked with people who have done just that. They have struggled and struggled and struggled and said, I just can't figure it out. Give it over to God. Annie? Oh, okay. But it says, your statue, uh, I have remembered your name. And remember, we've talked about name. All of his reputation, all of his power, all of his authority is represented in name, in the night, and have kept your laws. Night here is a poetic statement for trials and struggles. When everything is dark around you, when everything seems to be dark. This is what Job, in the middle of the day, talking with his friends, was going through. Night, the trials and tribulations that were coming his way. It, when everything seems dark. It can mean night, but this is more poetic. This is more of a poetic word. When do, when do the problems usually seem to overwhelm us? In the night, when you have nothing else to think about. But it can also be there are people who are in the dark in the middle of the day because their problems are so bad that they're being overwhelmed. So yes, in the night, in one sense, because that's usually when we get overwhelmed by our problems. That's when we can't sleep because all of a sudden where we've stopped thinking about all I have to get done today and all of a sudden the problems come crashing in on me. But you can also be having the problems crash upon you during the daytime hours when you're just being overwhelmed. And it says, in the night I have remembered your name. In the middle of my trials I have remembered your name and have kept your law. God, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to follow you. Even when it doesn't seem to make any sense. Guard, keep, do all of his rules, all of his laws, all of his statutes. Now, this is a little bold. It probably isn't an actual true statement, but again, David is saying, you know, for the most part, God, I'm trying to follow you. And it seems that he tried to follow God most. And for some of us, we do more following God than not following God at times. So many of us can say, God, I'm keeping your law to the best that I can. God, I'm trying to be obedient to you. I'm not purposely going out and sinning against you. I'm not, I'm not looking for ways to sin against you. God, I'm really trying to follow your law. How do we really follow his law? He comes into us and changes who we are, and we start becoming more like him. If you've walked with God long enough, you probably could say to God, God, I am trying to keep your law. I'm not running out, going out, and trying to steal and lie and cheat people. Some people are. Some Christians are. I know, I know a Christian businessman who used to tell his salespeople that you could lie to people that aren't Christians. Tell them whatever you want to sell the product. So my first question was, number one, how do you know they're not Christians? But he was telling them exactly what Muslims are told. As long as they're not a Muslim, you can tell them whatever you want to tell them and you're not lying. A Muslim has permission, according to the Quran, to lie to the infidels. And this man was telling his salespeople, you have the right to lie as long as they're not Christians. And he didn't come, didn't come out of it out of the Bible. Huh? I don't know. I didn't bother asking him. I just told him I wouldn't work for him. 
Yeah, or a client that, but you know, there are businessmen out there that will break every one of God's rules because it's business. And they separate their Christianity from their business world. They will do whatever it takes to make something happen because it's not their church and God time. And we as humans have this real good ability to be able to separate our time. God, I'm in church now. I'm going to put on the church hat, and you're my, you're my Lord and Master. Everything I do in church is going to be for you. But God, don't you dare come into the business world, because if I'm going to be successful, I have to be just like all the other businessmen, willing to bend the rules and cut corners and whatever else, because God, you, you, know, you're just, God, you just don't understand business. You stay out of my business world. God, you just don't understand what it's like when you go out and play sports. You've got to be able to to play really hard and vicious and cheat and bend the rules. And God says, no, I want to be your God all the time. Yeah. I, I know of coach, when, I, when my son was playing soccer, she trained her girls to cheat and play viciously. And she wanted the refs from our league to allow it. And her and I went at it when I was the head, head uh, uh, referee, and I'm going, I've already instructed the, the referees that if your girls cheat, you will be called. She goes, well, bloodstirred and everything. I'm going, no, we're going to play correctly. And we're not out to hurt other team members by doing cheap shots. And if you do it, you will be, your, your, your girls will be red carded and kicked out of the game. And if you object, you will be red carded and kicked out of the game. And that's the problem is when you're in the world, when you're living according to the world, you're not building up good character. You're not building up because you're following the world's way of doing things. You know, the world's way is win at all costs, whether it's in business or sports or, or even relationships. You know, how many of the world will, will try to win in a relationship at all cost? And everything is about the conquering of the relationship. And once you've got it, you go to the next conquest. I got my girl, and she's, she, she's in my lap and we're married. Now I'll go after some other conquest, and when, when I get that conquest, I'll get rid of the first one because she's boring now and get, rid of, get the next one. That's the way the world is. Now I got what I wanted. I got, you know, now I'm going after the next thing. I need a new conquest to go after. God, I, you know, you just stay over there, God. I'm in the business world. I got to make it to the top. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to make it to the top. But we think about how this is. God... I remember your name when I'm in the middle of trials. And I want to keep your law. I want to keep your rules and your laws in all areas of my life. We need to be Christians 24-7, 365 days a year. It's not a, we don't take time off to, to play world. You know, play by the world's rules because we are Christians. We are, we are a new life. We have a new order. We answer to a new government. This is not our home. The world is not our ruler. We are ambassadors, which means that we are in this world, but we are not of it. We answer to Jesus Christ, and we need to live a life that honors him. Ambassadors are supposed to live a life that honors their country and makes their country look honorable in other countries, which is why many times ambassadors are called back because they live in ways that do not honor their country. And the country says, uh-uh, you're not, you're not going out there to live that way. You're coming back because you're dishonoring the country. God says we're his ambassadors. We're to honor him and lift him up in all that we do in this world. Which, as David said here, can put us in derision. I don't know about you. I have been made fun of because of my beliefs over the years. I've had people go, well, how can you do that? How can, why won't you bend this rule? Why won't you do this? Why won't we? Can I go, because God is to be honored. And these are the rules. I'm going to follow the rules. But you're the only one. I go, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter to me if I'm the only one. Number one, I'm not the only one. There's other Christians out there that are obeying God. Have you ever had that thrown at you? Well, you're the only one that doesn't do this. Elijah had that, had that problem after the, after the Battle of Carmel when, they, when, all, the, when all the 200 uh, prophets of Baal were killed and Jezebel threatened him. 
He runs over 120 miles away from Mount Carmel. Starts grumbling to God that he's the only one. And God says, no, I've got thousands who haven't been bent to knee. Go back to where you're supposed to be. You know, go, you, 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 made a, you made a 120 mile trip for nothing. Now get back up where you're supposed to be. You now have 240 miles that you've traveled for the wrong reasons. And you are not the only one. It goes back to our beginning of this when we were talking. No temptation overtaken us, but such as is common to man. God is faithful. He always has a remnant. Satan loves to make us think, you're the only one. You're the only one that's teaching the right way. You're the only one that won't live this way. You're the only one that will, is sticking to God's rules. You're the only one that hasn't committed adultery. You're the only one that hasn't stolen you know, from your business. You know, you're the only one that doesn't, doesn't stretch out the break time. And you might be in that company. <laughs> but you know, it's still not right, even if you are the only one and you're not. Because there's others in other places, other companies, other, other people that are obeying God. There's always a remnant. During the Middle Ages, during the Inquisition, when the Catholic Church was trying to destroy all remnants of Christianity, there was a remnant holding on to the Bible and following God in spite of everything that the Catholic Church was trying to do to destroy biblical Christianity. There was a remnant. Elisha had a remnant. Elijah had a remnant, excuse me. There was a remnant saying, I'm following you. Even in the days of Noah, there was a remnant. It was two, or actually one. And he saved his whole family because he was the remnant. All through time, there's a remnant. And God says, I'm going to lift up my remnant. I'm going to lift up my people. And they're going to keep my word. They're going to raise me up. They're going to follow me. Our goal is always to be part of that remnant. And I tell people, you know, I am very happy to be an American, to be in this republic where we get to vote on our leaders and everything. But you know, the worst form of government is democracy and republic. Because the majority is almost always wrong. Go through the scriptures and look at it. Anytime there's a majority, they're making the wrong decisions. It's the remnant that is making the right decisions. It's the remnant that's following God. It's the remnant that chooses God, the minority. All through history, the remnant is what is making the right decisions. The majority almost always is wrong. Uh, hey, Aaron, this uh, fellow Moses, he went up 40 days ago. Well, you don't know what happened to him. He kind of got lost. Make us a god. And he made one. You know, majority, millions of people said, make us a god. And Aaron, who's supposed to be being brought up as a second leader to be the high priest, buckles underneath the majority and makes a god them. Uh, hey, Samson, you know, you're making life miserable for us. Uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to arrest you and turn you over to the Philistines because you're making life miserable for us. You know, they are, they are the government, governing ruler over us. We don't care that God is using you to, to you know, develop a judge and help us get out of this. We, you know, we, we don't want a hard time with them. The majority turns them in over and over again. Look through. The disciples get together. We need to replace Judas, so we're going to choose between Matthias or... Uh, I can't remember the other guy because Matthias is the one that was chosen. And God's going, well, I didn't pick either one of them. I'm picking Paul. <laughs> okay. They did a great job. The majority picked, <laughs> picked somebody. Just not the right person to replace Judas. As I said, I'm very happy to be in a democracy and a, a republic where we get to vote for our leaders, but it is a terrible form of government. And you know, when we get into the millennial kingdom, we'll have benevolent theocracy, monarchy. Jesus will be governed as king. And a benevolent monarchy is the best form of government, but it has to be benevolent, somebody that cares about their people. Unfortunately, most monarchies are bad because they don't care about their people. And this is the problem with human government, is there is no really good one because power corrupts. 
you know, power corrupts, and we see it over and over again. And we're seeing it even in our own country. The power that they're getting, it's corrupting their thought patterns and how they want to behave. But ultimately, we need to be under God. Be part of the remnant, always. In the 18, 1850s, evolution started being taught in the, by science. The majority of the church, okay, science has said that, that evolution is a tool, so we'll just, we'll just throw away Genesis. God didn't create it, or he used it, where they tried to come up with really weird ways to have God and evolution be true. Theistic evolution, God, God used evolution and he just, he directed it. Uh, millions of years, each, each day was millions, you know, a thousand years, because a day is a year, you know, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. So when God said a day, it really means a thousand years, maybe even a million, because God really doesn't have time. All the weird things that they came up with, instead of just saying God said it, that's true, they went with the majority. And even to this day, we're battling because the church did not take a stand that God was right, that God was honest, that God told the truth. You know, we need to be able to say, God, I'm going to stand for you no matter what, whether it's popular or not. When it's popular, it's pretty easy to stand with God. You'll get a lot of people who aren't even Christians standing with God when it's popular. When it's unpopular, that shows you where people really are. When God says that marriage is between a man and a wife and the, and the, world, the rest of the world wants to tell us it really doesn't matter, where's our stand? Are we standing with God or are we willing to go with what the world says? When God says we're to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, are we willing to be like the, law and t uh, the, the world and tell all these white lies and half-truths and, and outright lies? <laughs> or do we take God's standard? When God says that you should not commit fornication and we find that, what is it, 60% of America are living together outside of marriage because it's popular. It's popular to do so now. Ignore God. And God says, I've got rules for you. I expect you to follow them. Are we willing to take a stand and say, this is what God says? How many people have murdered their babies because they don't like the idea that they might have a baby when they had their free sex? You know, sex without any consequences. Ah, it's just a blob of tissue. Get rid of it. Kill that baby in the, in the, in the womb because it's just a you know, nuisance. We can't allow it to change our way we live. We don't want the consequences for what we've done, so we'll just, we'll just kill it. And they don't look at it as killing because they don't look at it as a life. Are we willing to look at what God says? He told Jeremiah, I, I knew you in your mother's womb. I knew your sinews as they were being created. You talk about him saying that life starts before, before the birth. It, he's, he goes, I knew you before. I knew you before, it even, before you were big enough to even be noticed. I knew you. And this is what it says. Remember the name of the Lord in the night and keep his laws. This I had... Because I kept your precepts. This I had, the peace, the calmness, because I keep his precepts. You know, isn't it wonderful to have a clean conscience before God when people are trying to find something wrong with you? I don't have to worry about it. Now, they may find things kind of weird and strange and bad, but to have peace before God. Daniel, when the leaders got the Darius to make a decree that you cannot make a request to another god for 30 days. They ran immediately Daniel's window to see is he going to pray to his god and honor, honor, and honor his god or is he going to follow the laws of Darius. Either way they knew they had Daniel. Because if he sacrificed his god they had him because God wasn't important enough for him to face death. If he violates Darius' degree, he gets to go into the lion's den and die anyway. They thought they had him either way. And from human point of view, they had him. But it says, I have this because I'm going to follow your laws. I'm going to obey you, God. And God delivered him. 
Now, not everybody who obeys God gets delivered. Fox's Book of Martyr is, is full of people who paid the ultimate price for honoring God when the world told them not to. When the world, when the Caesar said, you're going to declare me God or you're going to die. And thousands, if not millions of Christians died at the hand of, of the Caesars, various Caesars. During the Middle Ages, when people would, when the Catholic Church was saying, you've got to follow the Pope because the Pope is right. Believe what the Pope is. Don't read your Bible. Don't care what the Bible says. Just follow the Pope. And millions of Christians were executed during that reign. Not to, get, not to make the Catholic Church you know, too bad. During the Reformation, during the Protestant Reformation, each Protestant group was just as vicious against the other Protestant group that didn't honor them. Calvin killed many people who didn't follow what he taught. Luther didn't, wasn't very nice to people who didn't follow exactly the way he taught. People have died over the years at the hands of other supposed Christian groups. It's not just opponents of Christianity that have, that have killed Christians. There's been groups that say, you don't believe exactly like we do, we're going to kill you. We've, we've seen in English history, you know, all kinds of battles between Protestants and Catholics as one rises to the, power, uh, rises to the throne and starts killing the other ones. The Church of England tried to kill anybody who wasn't of the Church of England. We see over and over the power of the opposition. And it says, I have had because I keep your precepts. The greatest thing that we can do is say, God, I'm going to obey you. If I perish, I perish, as, as Esther said. You know, maybe it was, maybe I, and Mordecai said, you might have been put here just for this day. And she goes, well, I'll go, to King, I'll go to King Xerxes, and if I perish, I perish. Very bold. She didn't know if she was going to be accepted. She hadn't been called for 60 days to the king. She didn't know whether he still liked her or loved her or didn't ever want to see her again when she walked into the throne room. She took her life into her own hands and said, you guys pray for me. I want to try to stop this bad law from going into effect. Daniel goes in and goes, starts immediately praying. Gets, gets charged in there and then Darius finds out exactly how bad he's been tricked. Because well, what did they tell Darius? All of your leaders have agreed that this is a wonderful law. Well, all except for one very important one, the number one in Darius's eyes hadn't agreed that it was a good law. And Darius, because they played up on his pride, acted without ever consulting Daniel. Because Daniel would have said, that's a terrible law, king. You know, it's, you're not God. God is God. <laughs> yeah. Where do we sit? Do we honor his, his precepts, even if it's going to cost us everything? Many people will not lose a job in America because they don't want to cross the world and disobey God. And that's something that's really not that serious, much less give their life. If somebody won't be willing to give up their job, I can tell you they won't give up their life. You know, what are we willing to do for God? What are we willing to give up? Are we willing to give up our reputation? God, uh, I have a really good name, and if I do this, uh, they're going to think that I'm a joke, and I won't have any reputation, and nobody will listen to me anymore. And as I said, if Daniel had get not prayed to God, as he always did, he would have lost out anyway. They would have said, your God's, not, your God's not worth dying for? You've been telling us about how strong your God is and how he's made all these promises and he's not worth dying for? Do you see how you lose out no matter what when you disobey God? You think that you're trying to save your reputation. You think you're trying to honor something, but the world will look at you and just say, you're a compromiser. You gave up. You did not follow your God when the chips were down. Your God must not be that important. Being disobedient to God's laws and rules is a loss. And it's a loss you may never come back from. It's better to just stand for God and take whatever comes from having to stand with him 
because of how much he cares. You can't go wrong following God's law, ever. Don't try to twist it. Don't try to bend it. Just say, God, I'm going to honor you for everything that you have and let you be glorified. If you die, he's glorified. If you live, he's glorified. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I have always loved their answer to Nebuchadnezzar. You know, he goes, who's going to deliver you from me? And their answer was a very simple one. Our God can deliver, you, deliver us from your hand. But whether he does or whether he does not, we will not bow to your God. We will not dishonor our God by bowing to your God because whether we die or live, it's in his hands. Do we truly believe that? God, I'm willing to let my reputation die. I'm ready to let my career die. I am ready to physically die for you. Or are we ready to bend anything to, to try to obey the world and, and not offend the world? It is such a critical decision we have to make. And we need to keep this in mind. I am going to honor your law, God. I am going to follow your rules. Will we do it perfectly? No. But our goal should be, God, I want to lift you up. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. The martyrs, when they died, they watched how brave they died in, in God's grace. And people came to Christ by the hundreds and the, and the dozens when these people died because of the strength that they had for their beliefs. Because they'd look at them the tortures they went through, the, the humiliations they went through, being paraded naked through the crowds on their way to, the, the, to their destruction, being, you know, uh, oh man, I can't remember which one. One of the early church fathers says, you don't even have to tie me to the stake. I will stand there on the stake for my God. And they let him stand there, and he stood there. He didn't try to jump out of the fire. He goes, I'm just going to stand here. God wants me to burn that's his will. And immediately people got saved. <laughs> you know, we see it over and over again. When the Coptic Christians in Egypt got killed, people got saved all over the Middle East because they watched how brave these guys were for Christ. As they over and over said, I will not deny my Lord. And their heads were cut off. And people went into becoming Christians because they saw these guys had something to die for. Do we truly believe that God holds eternity? Are we willing that he has a belief, a life for us that is so great that if we lose this one, we've lost nothing? Do we truly believe it when it really comes down to it? That nothing in this world is worth what's in the future. My reputation isn't my life isn't, my wealth isn't, what little I have, but you're, if you're rich, it's not worth it. Your job isn't worth it. Your very physical life is not worth what awaits us. Do we truly believe that enough that we're able to stand up for God and say, God, I'm going to follow you no matter what. No matter what comes my way. And we in America need to get ready for this because Hard times are coming fast in this country. People are losing businesses because of their stand for God. They're losing their jobs because of the stand for God. They're losing reputation because of their stand for God. Losing our life is not far down the road before it'll be something that that will be an option that will be taken against us. You know, you dare to say that homosexuality is wrong, that fornication is wrong, that a, you know, murdering children is wrong. You want to say that there's a God that has standards? You're not going to recognize these other religions as being just as good as yours? You are a troublesome person. You're, you deserve to die. Well, it's not far down the road. We need to be ready. We need to start making our decisions today. God, I help me to honor you no matter what. No matter what I face, God, help me to honor you and be strong in you because it's coming and we need to be ready for it 
Our country has had a long time where it's not been a bad thing to be a Christian. And the rest of the world really does not understand it. The, the Christians that are, under, that are facing death because of their Christianity look at America and say, what's wrong with those Christians? What are the matter with those American Christians? Because they don't have to face any trials. What's wrong with them? Because they read that God says they'll do these things to you, the same things they did to me. They will hate you. Many people look at American Christians and say, what's wrong with us? Why doesn't the world hate you? Why aren't you being punished? Why aren't you going to, the, to your death? It's coming. Be ready. Start, start asking God to give you the strength and, and start making decisions, little decisions today that will be ready for that kind of decision. Because if you can't make the little decisions to honor God, you're not going to make the big one. You're not going to make the big one when it comes to death. If you'll deny Jesus in the lunchroom and you know, when you're out with your, with your workers and you don't say anything about God because you don't want to look a little silly to your co-workers, how are you going to make the decision to lose your life? Very important for us. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that you care so much. Lord, help us to make decisions that honor you. Help us to make godly decisions that will follow you. And Lord, give us that strength. Lord, if there's anybody that doesn't know you that listens to this, that they will come to recognize that you are the only way to heaven and that they will follow you in your son's name. Amen.